0: Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Archie Comics, and you're listening to More to Come.
1: I'm PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor at Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World back here on the floor of the San Diego Comic Con, this time though, with Mark Wade, longtime comics writer for the Big Two, founder of Thrill Bent, the Digital Comics Site, and writer and co creator along with Fiona Staples of Archie number one, yes, uh, Mark. Right. Thank you for being on More to Come. My pleasure, Calvin. First, a
0: longtime fan, first time interviewee.
1: Yeah, all right, there you go. Oh, awesome. We're always interested to meet our fans. <laughs> um, well, obviously, this is in probably the hottest comic at San Diego Comic Con. It. it really seems to be that blows my mind. It, it's it's well, well, you know, it's a property. I mean, Archie is a comic. I think it's like Archie and Superman. Everybody yeah. wants it, knows it. they it belongs to the world. Yeah, yeah, um, but. You've written this reboot. It's like a new Archie, but it's the same Archie. But it's the same Archie. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, but first, tell us, I mean, what's your relationship to Archie? Well, I, you know, like everybody, I've been a fan
0: forever. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody's read Archie Comics going up. Uh, I was actually on staff for about an hour and a half in 1990, I guess. Oh, really? You know, actually, for, for a few months and stuff. It's, it's like an assistant editor slash jack of all trades, yeah. slash colorist. Archive as well. And and I knew at that time, time, you know, I I knew of Archie and I liked the stuff, but it wasn't really until I got a chance then to deep dive to the archives back then, which was much easier in 1990, obviously. Uh, But deep dive to the archives and really get a sense of how special a lot of those stories were. And since then, I've sort of carried that torch. I actually did. I actually did samples for a month's worth of newspaper strips. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Oh. And that that that. So you've got I, background like, here. you've got a history of art. And I've done some cover. I did some covers for them back. did no. cover sketches and stuff. and I did a few stories. And then, uh, you know, but I've always been a fan. And then they called, you know, a few months ago, and they said, you know, we we really are interested to see what your your take would be on this. And mm-hmm. we just did a complete from scratch relaunch, and. I'll be honest. My first thought was maybe calling a 53 year old man to find a bunch of 16 year old kids is not your smart move. And some may still feel that way, but I, I think that I acquitted myself pretty well because it's you know I was nervous about that. Yeah. But it it's like any other writing job. You just get in the heads of the characters, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter you know what their background or age is if you're really in the head of the characters. And so what I really did was focus on obviously my high school experience is different than my, you know, 15-year-old stepdaughter's yeah. high school mm-hmm. experience. But there's certain things about being a teenager that are always constant. Yeah. You know, the feelings of embarrassment, feelings of loneliness, feelings of not wanting to be the weird kid, yeah. feelings of, you know, feelings that you're invulnerable and everything mm-hmm. will last forever. And yeah. luckily, like, those things are also the building blocks of good stories. Yeah.
1: yeah. So,
0: mm-hmm. i you know, focusing on that and focusing less on whether or not they are the, yeah. whether or not they use Instagram or yeah. Snapchat yeah. you know that's that's window yeah. dressing that's yeah. the kind of stuff yeah. that
1: dates anyway too yeah, yeah right yeah Yeah. 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 Um, when did you know Fiona Staples was involved did, did but, you know that I, I don't know what the timing was of. not at first they, yeah.
0: they contacted me first hmm. and we were talking about a, a few different people and I was nervous only because I just wanted to make sure we were on the like if, if they called and they said well we want it to look exactly the same but we wanted to be written differently, I would have passed only because I don't think that that would have... It's a visual medium. I don't yeah. think that would have sent the shot across the bow. You need to say to people, no, 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 we're really serious about it. But once they, once they started talking to Fiona, I just... she she was a little on the fence and then I piled on and and just like send her love letter after love letter after love letter every day Uh, it helps that she loves these characters yeah she loves them like I love Superman she loves these characters and so I that made a great partnership because she's also my backstop to make sure I mean I really like these characters but she knows them intimately so it's nice to be able to have a conversation with her you know hey does it sound like something Jughead would say hey does it sound like something Veronica would say
1: and she's been about that. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 characters are the same but you know they are they're dressed different. Yeah. I mean fashion counts It means something it to mean something. and yeah. then it's going to mean something to the audience. Yeah. And so we've got we've got an archie that looks like today's archie. So how, did you two work together on the on the character designs yeah. or we, I think, the, I think the
0: original goal was we would work together on the character designs mm-hmm. and then she sent a bunch of r- rough draft character designs and everybody just said well that's it
1: they look great yeah. <laughs> they look
0: great because her, her attitude I don't want to speak too much for her but her attitude has been great about what, what she told me was she didn't want to redefine the characters she wanted to interpret them in you know through her style in a way that still made the characters feel like the characters mm-hmm. she said she was looking at Francisco Franco Villa's Afterlife Life of March, mm-hmm. and she said that was her that was her clue that you could service both that you could do the classic characters but do it in your own
1: style and still make them look like the characters yeah. you know. it's been interesting I mean Archie is you know certainly one of the oldest of the American comic book yeah. characters and over the last five years or so they've probably been the, some of the most advanced whether you're looking absolutely. at digital or yeah. or you know, just the diversity of the cast absolutely the, the voices of the, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah so you're a part of that that now yeah. of this really yeah. forward-looking, yeah. uh, uh, vision poor classic company, yeah. yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> it's not, no, it's not a bad gig, yeah. and I, I'm really proud of that. I'm really,
0: I'm, you know, I'm, sort of, I'm also aware. Like I'm not, I'm not stupid, I'm aware of that, you know, I'm a 53 year old pasty white guy, and <laughs> they're, is, people too. <laughs> I said,
1: they're people too.
0: But that, you know, but that's that's you know that's one of the reasons why we went. Why we've tried very hard I mean Clearly one of the things One of the questions That we That came to mind When we started thinking about What do we put in Arch Comics Number one is Well we want to serve The main characters As we know The Margie, Betty, Veronica, Jughead, Reggie But There are five point kids Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Archie has been so great about building a deep bench in the last six or seven years of characters that are a lot more diverse than that, a lot, yes. more, a lot more varied than that. So what do we do to, to make sure that it's not just the adventures of five white kids? And so that's why we actually took Veronica off the table for the first few issues. Mm-hmm. That's why we've sort of taken Reggie off the table as a main player mm-hmm. for the first few issues. We they they made- showed up. He showed, showed up. And, yeah. and Veronica, we got a glimpse. And Veronica, you get a glimpse of Veronica in issue too. Yeah. But it gives us a chance to do yeah. more with the other characters mm-hmm. so that it's, you know, because it was important to me. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I'm I'm hyper-conscious of the fact that, you know, pasty pasting my thing. So <laughs> I should be, you know, I should be making an effort to reflect a Riverdale that it. It is a little
1: more cosmopolitan yeah. than that. Um, you've introduced, um... Uh, A bunch of the the former characters. Uh, We know Veronica's coming. uh, Anything else? Can you you say anything more? I I would say what's what we're going to see in issue two. I got to tell you. Well, issue
0: yeah, issue two is more of a Jughead story. Yeah. Okay. Like, why does he wear that stupid hat? How does he get away with wearing that stupid hat? Um, But more like, what makes that character so aloof and yet so interesting why is he so loyal to Archie and yet doesn't really seem to have the time of day for anybody else in town um, not, that he's, not that he likes them but he's just yeah. not one of, he's not gregarious in that way and so that was without giving anything away that was one of the one of the big adjustments to Archie quote unquote continuity mm-hmm. that they that they let me have which okay. uh, so I said I, I, I have an idea for a background for Jughead that's different than different than what you might than what we might have seen before but I think that helps explain why he's so sort of from, uh, you know not distant but but doesn't seem to care as much about what the other
1: kids yeah. think well, to wrap this up, uh, how do you know when you got it right, or are you getting a sense already? I mean, I think you well. Luckily for me,
0: and again, I can thank the fans not nearly enough for this. The way I know I have it right is that I've never received so many good reviews and so much positive outpouring of anything I've ever done in my thirty years in comics. Okay. as I have on Archie Comics number one, and that's. I mean, that's because Fiona makes me look good, that's because our Andre, our colors makes us look good, but look, I feel like we got it right.
1: Well, I kind of think you did, too. I I read it, and uh, I loved it, and I'm waiting for you, too. I want to see what's going on here. Excellent. Right. Uh, uh, Mark Wade, thank you for being on More to Come. My pleasure, sir. I'm sorry. Do
0: you want a bump or anything? you want like a Mark Wade? you're listening to More to Come or something like that if you want? Sure, Yeah.
1: Welcome once again to More to Come, P.W. Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of P.W. Comics World. Okay, we are back again on the floor of the San Diego Comic Con. Uh, We're at the Abram Comics Arts booth, and I'm here with the Editorial Director of Abram's Comics Arts, Charles Kochman. Charles, um, welcome to More to Come.
2: Thank you, thanks for
1: having me. Um, I've known you for a while. Um, uh, I think we were talking the other day about Mom's cancer, the incredible book. I guess it sort of started your list off. Um, you know, you put together an amazing li- uh, imprint here. You guys do a little of everything, from like straight up, seemingly scholarly work to current to popular fiction. I mean, novelty books, and you really run the gamut. It's, it's for for those of us who have been in the comic space for a while. It's kind of the ideal for what you know many of us think a modern trade book comic in, imprint should do. So, tell I'd love for you to tell the audience um, more to come. Uh, you know what Abram Comic Arts does.
2: Well, I feel very lucky because you know, being part of Abrams, which is this venerable um, 65-year-old art book publisher, to be able to take comics and publish them at a company like Abrams, the house that published Norman Rockwell and Photographs by Richard Avedon, really had meaning to me as an editor coming from DC Comics and Med where I was working on art books. What I wanted to do at Abrams was have Abrams publish books that I felt were important Discover talent that I felt was worth bringing to a wider audience, whether they were um, web comics like um, Brian Fies who did Mom's Cancer or mm-hmm. Jeff Kinney who did Diary of a Wimpy Kid. These oh, were yes. web comics. We'll have it. to talk about that a little. Sure. Bit. Yes, <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's going to be my. You know that's like the first line of my obituary. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he edits Diary of a That's a good one to have. Um, but I think that you know what I liked is being able to do that at Abrams really allowed a broad exposure. We were. A company that was transitioning when I got there we had new management we had new creative teams and everything was on the table what can we do and you know although this is comic arts one of the nice things is that there are other imprints at Abrams that do pop culture books that aren't particularly comics but we do books on Star Wars or Wes Anderson or My Little Pony that also become folded into us at these shows at San Diego or New York Comic Con or MoCA so what it does is it broadens what we could do. So it's all Abrams, but it's all comic arts, and I have the benefit of not just my bandwidth as an editor, but all these other editors that I work with who have different passions and different interests. So the list is rounded more so because of the diverse people that work at Abrams and the people that I work with, as much as you know the books that are on comic arts, which reflect my taste, but also the taste of other editors who you know who like comics who contribute. Um, so I think you know that's been you know really satisfying. It's 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 dri- driven by a lot of people, and you know I think what we've shown over the years. This is our tenth year at ah. Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been I, I started in January of five. We went to San Diego in the summer of '05. Um, and that was after um, I signed up Mom's Cancer before it came out. But we had a handful of titles that were sort of straggling that we just sort of pulled together but it was more important like let's have a, a table let's have a presence sure. let's sort of see what this thing is about and you know i feel like you know i look at the booth now i look at the list of, of books that we have now and it's like not that i couldn't have dreamed of it some of it i did but it, what what you said earlier i think is really true it's this whole acceptance of comics and a broadway it's not yeah. it's not fringe anymore it's so mainstream yeah And, you know, I think you and I were talking over lunch yesterday. It wasn't like we all set out to do this thing. It's just a perfect confluence of, like, all these people who grew up reading comics were now in positions where we could publish or write about or review or Mm -hmm. make movies about or make TV shows about things that were from our Mm -hmm. childhood. And a good example for me on that is I grew up with the Tops stickers and all that. I love wacky Mm -hmm. packages. Sure. I was able to take my childhood interest of that and then... Approach tops because I knew them from my DC days and do books like Bazooka Joe and Wacky Packages and Garbage Bell Kids. So it's taking things from your childhood, knowing that you weren't the only one at that age who loved this stuff, and then putting it out in a way that all those people who were your age can appreciate it and crossing over. Um, and I feel like that's, that's what the list really has been. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Kirby, I'm a big fan of Harvey Kurtzman, a big fan of Will Eisner. Those are three people that I kind of identified as. Being the triumvirate of art books. And you've done books on all of them. All through, I, 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 finally, the, the, the Eisner's coming out this fall. And yeah. it wasn't so much to put out, like, I want to do a book on Jack Kirby, but I want to put out Mark Evanier's book. I want to put out sure. the book on the Jack book Kirby. on it, yes. And, you know, been very lucky to be able to do that at Abrams and put out yeah. these coffee table books in a way that becomes definitive monographs and... Art books, but they're art books at a company like Abrams, who publishes Picasso and Monet, yeah. and that's in our DNA, yeah. and yeah. that's really satisfying for me. I know You're in it, good company. <laughs> I think they're in good company, and I know that when uh, I told Eisner that I was coming over to DC, uh, coming over to Abrams from DC, he was really happy, mm-hmm. and I think he would be really thrilled with the way you know that book is coming out, but also the fact that comics are what he expected they're now accepted mainstream mm-hmm. you know the idea of the old librarians who you know turn their noses on comics and then accept that that's gone that's now. over well, with. yeah they, they're, <laughs> they're all unfortunately they're all passed away so now yeah, yeah all the librarians are really cool and they're our age and they love comics and they love the fact that if kids read comics and it brings people into the libraries and it brings people into reading and yeah teachers, you know, there's there's no... There's a total acceptance yeah. right now, and I think that's really yeah. exciting. Okay, let me ask you I, I, I want to get back to what we the kid, but I want... Also, I
1: want you to kind of briefly give me a sense of your background, because one of the things I thought was ideal when you t- took over this job was mm-hmm. that I mean, you had the, the perfect background of putting books together as well as working in the comics industry.
2: Right. Well, thank you. I mean, when I was at DC and Mad, I was an editor of Licensed Publishing, which was the first... I, uh, was the first editor license publishing which was a job they created, where instead of having somebody oversee the books that DC licensed to other publishers, um, and also that person would oversee paper products and where you know clothing and all that, yeah. they had somebody who knew books. Yeah. So when I was brought over to DC, it was because I had been at Bantam before that, and mm-hmm. I had done a successful line of kids' books on Star Wars that mm-hmm. was licensed. Mm-hmm. And then guys from D.C. noticed those, you know, called me over and said, like, could you do a program like this Mm -hmm. for D.C. characters? That was building. I was working, you know, with Paul Levitz and other people building this program. And when the opportunity came over to come to Abrams, it was a similar thing where... They were looking, not necessarily for a comics editor, they were looking for somebody with a pop culture sensibility, but somebody who understood visual publishing. Yeah. And I think my background editing comics and my background as a, you know, at DC, you were trained not just to edit, but to visually edit. It's a very different mm. skill for a lot of people to edit text and to edit pictures. Sure. And to be able to do both is is rare, and I, I, I felt like, it worked really well with the sensibilities of Abrams where the art and design had to be... Yeah. You know, you couldn't just do a book on any artist. It had to be like, all right, if you're going to do a book on an artist, it's got to be like, who's the best comic book artist? Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, I'll put our hands up and say Jack Kirby. So, all right, we're going to start with that. And then it's got to look beautiful because we're Abrams and that's what we yeah. do. So, And I had done that before by at being at DC licensing books and rather than just hiring somebody a work-for-hire artist or somebody who had nothing to do with the character, hiring the people who were doing the comics on a regular basis, so those comics looked like they were part of the continuity, but they didn't, totally weren't beholden to the continuity, Mm -hmm. but they could coexist. So, you know, I was working with people like Chip Kidd on a coffee table book, Batman Animated, Mm -hmm. where you're having the benefit of his genius design and his sensibility of pulling that together, and then editing the text with, you know, a writer like Paul Dini, who is... One of the writers on this, on this show One of the creators of the show Getting the blessing of Bruce Timm Who was the creative force behind it mm-hmm. And his whole team So my experience at DC really informed what I do And I feel like in many ways All the relationships that I started at DC Ended up paying off when I came to mm-hmm. Abrams I met the people at T.O.P.S. when I was doing tie-ins to Batman movie books Mm -hmm. and all that stuff that I was licensing as part of my my D.C. job. But when I came to Abrams, I was able to take that relationship and do the T.O.P.S. books with Wacky Packers and Garbage Pail Kids. I was able to take my relationship with my old boss, Paul Levitz, at D.C., and have him do the Eisner book. Yep. You yeah. You know, the agents that I met there, Judy Henson, Dennis mm-hmm. Kitchen, all these people, you know, have been so much a part of what I do here and supportive of what I do. I met them at DC, yeah. and they knew what I was capable of doing. They knew the sensibility, and they were thrilled to be able to do it at Abrams because they felt like we're going to take this comics to take level. Taking the medium to another level. level. Absolutely.
1: Uh, okay, very quickly, we've got a little time left. Wimpy Kid. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about discovering a, 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 an author who's gone on to be one of the most popular cartoonists
2: in the world. In the world. We, he's sold to date 150 million copies worldwide. Yeah. Wow. I know. It's wow. It's amazing. And that's, that's one of those home runs that it come, happens once in a career, once in a lifetime, if that. You know? yeah. And I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time, but I won't say lucky in that Like, oh, I just... Like, a lot of people turned it down. Nobody saw what I saw in it. Mm -hmm. But I really believed in it, and I really loved what he showed me. We were at the first New York Comic Con, Mm -hmm. and Jeff walked up to me on the last day, um, started asking questions about web comics. I sold him a copy of Mom's Cancer. Um, You know, we started talking, and it wasn't because he was Jeff Kinney. He was nobody. He was a a customer. So, you know, I'm... It's a I, great story. It's a really good story. <laughs> it's very satisfying. Like, I could have been a jerk that day, and I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: that's like, a <laughs> lesson to all editors out <laughs> exactly. there. Exactly. Don't be jerks. <laughs> don't be jerks, because you, you know. never who, know. You never know. You know, the next Japanese is going to walk up to
2: your booth and hand you, you know, a manuscript that's going to change not just your life, but the life of millions of people <laughs> yes, the world. Yes, absolutely. That who love these they, books they love books and he and they love his books and mm-hmm. now they love reading you know I hear this all the time and it never gets old it's like parents who say my kid never read before but now I love reading because of yeah. he loves reading because of the dire bloopy kid um, you know Jeff always joked that in the beginning he didn't know what the phrase reluctant reader meant He'd never heard that phrase before, and then he realized it was code for boys. Yes, it truly is. I always felt that boys will read if you give them something they could read. You know, and I I use the example, like, I love Treasure Island, I love Mm -hmm. these books that I read as a kid, but it was homework. And I can't relate to Treasure Island, but kids could relate to middle school. They could relate to Greg Mm Heffley, and I think that's the genius that Jeff brings, is he came up with a way of, a subject matter that people are like, in a format that now is ubiquitous and everybody copies and it. And being copied as well. Copied it, you know, <laughs> left and right. Left and right. And I think what's, what's satisfying is it wasn't that I had said to him, like, you should do this. I had nothing to do with any of that. He intuitively, because I think he and I share a lot of the same sensibilities and a lot of the same feeling about literature we always talked about reading toward the picture. Mm -hmm. So when I was reading Treasure Island as a kid, I would count down how many pages to the book plate and I would turn down Mm -hmm. the page. It's like I have four more pages to go until there was (laughs) an illustration which was like, if I can get past those four pages, I can finally get to a picture. Jeff somehow figured out if I can give... A little bit of text and a picture as the set like, yeah. setup punchline. So, yeah. Like the the text is the setup and the punchline is the picture and do that and then give it like it's Monday and then three pages, then it's Tuesday. <laughs> it's digestible, it's easy, you have a sense of accomplishment. And I think I think that was the genius and there was something in the air that always happens. We talk about this confluence of all publishers doing this. It was the same time that Brian Selznick had done um, Hugo Cabrera oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and the same thing about that I think part of the reason that did so well and I've talked about this with Brian and David Saylor who works at Scholastic is it was the same time Harry Potter was, was being sold and kids would be walking around with these huge Harry Potter books but the younger kids could walk around with Hugo Cabrera they could read a couple of pages and then there's a double page spread that's mm-hmm. an illustration yeah. and they could read that book They could say they read a big, fat book that, like, their brother was reading Harry Potter or their sister was reading Harry Potter and have the same sense of accomplishment. I think that was so important. And, again, that confluence just happened at the same Mm -hmm. time. And I think it was a way to get reading manageable to boys Mm and kids, to these reluctant readers and kids who didn't. And, you know, it's been the most satisfying thing that I've been associated with because, one, I really believe in books. I, I think Jeff is just one of the, besides one of the nicest people in the business, one of the most creative and selfless, he constantly is trying to figure out, how do I do better with Wimpy Kid how do I get back to the community he built this bookstore in the community yeah now he's that was a bookseller too yeah he's yeah. an independent bookseller yeah. at a time when everybody was thinking like you know why would you open up a bookstore yeah. when there are these online sites and he's showing that you could make that work and it could yeah. change the town mm-hmm. and if he could take that model and be applied you know what, what I hope happens to all the people who imitated Wimpy Kid imitate his bookstore model yeah there you go you have go. bookstores throughout <laughs> the country I think so I think people like to support their local independent I stores, think so too you know?
1: okay um i i apologize for rushing through this but i do want uh i'd love to hear actually i've done interviews about the the will you know right here with about the will eisner book that's coming out in the fall um, um uh, i'm leaving something out peanuts. Hmm? peanuts oh peanuts um and um what else was i, I I'm, I'm spacing out here but i i'd love for you to talk a little bit about uh, just some of the books
2: uh, um, a, a book that's coming out or some yeah, books that I'll are give coming you a quick out now overview for... of some of the books i mean i feel like the list that we have for the fall is the best list that i've ever pulled out mm-hmm. and i think one of the reasons i say that it has a little something for everybody and that it covers the basis i sort of tried to take comic arts and break it into art books collections original graphic novels and stuff for kids mm-hmm. and i think on this list we have the best of all that um and you know, since you already talked about peanuts with Chip mm-hmm. Kidd, you know we have an art book, coffee table art book on mm-hmm. the history of peanuts. But yes. it's you know there've been thousands of books on peanuts. Mm-hmm. How this one's different is it focuses on the original art. Mm-hmm. It's got Chip Kidd, so right away it's different yeah, than right. everything else that's <laughs> out there. Yes. But it's different than his previous book because it focuses on the original art. Um, you have Paul Levitz writing. Yes, the you know third part of my triumvirate of heroes of comical heroes on Will Eisner. Um, and his Champion of the Graphic Novel comes out this fall. Another art book, Coffee Table book, for me, really satisfying because I knew Will. Huge fan of Eisner. I think he would have been really pleased with the book. Paul knew Will, and Paul was my old boss at DC, so yeah, it was an interesting sort of exercise and you know a lot of mutual respect working yeah. on this project with us, you know, even though the roles, you know, change slightly, you know, the you know Paul's a, a professional and amazing writer and amazing craftsman, and, um, you know, I think it's, it shows what we at Abrams do in terms of, like, the Peanuts book or the Eisner book of, like, this is the visual book on Eisner, it has every, sort of covers every aspect of his career, shows you things that you've never seen before mm-hmm. from the archives, photographs, letters, all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. but also it's not written for the fan it's written for the casual reader who. the fan will find lots of stuff that they didn't know but this is a book for people who know nothing about the subject and we're going to learn why Will Eisner matters so that's coming out um, we have a follow-up from Durf Baxter, uh, who did uh, My Friend Dahmer. We have his book, Trash, huh? yeah. which is yeah. his follow-up, his original graphic novel. Yeah. Um, I'm incredibly excited to publish this book because, one, I'm a big fan of, of Durf's. So I'm also an extremely um, big fan of telling stories that com- stories in comics that the mainstream reader, readers who don't read mm-hmm. comics can read very easily. If you read uh, My Friend Dahmer, you know that his storytelling and his journalistic style is so clear and smart, mm-hmm. and he walks you through the history mm-hmm. of garbage and what it's like to be a garbage man. It started out based on his time where he was an actual he garbage man, an actual garbage. but he was a garbage man in the 70s, so he had to bring it up to date with recycling, and he so yeah. he, he you know elaborated upon that and really broadened the whole... Um, you know, book, and it's just an amazing narrative, it's really relevant to what mm-hmm. we as a society are going through, um, and, you know, it just opens your eyes to things that you just didn't even know were a thing, Yeah, you know, or <laughs> that people had to deal yeah. with, Garzman had to deal with. And, the book started, and it's very funny, on top of being informative, because really
1: it's really almost a, a series of infographics in, in, in a certain Yeah, way. Yeah, and it's sort
2: of also a raucous tale, I feel like, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, it's so crazy to hear all of a sudden, like. You know, the difference of picking up trash in the summer is very different than in the winter. Yes. You're dealing with the elements yes, in, in a very indeed. different way, and he talks about that. And, you know, he's got a, a cast of characters and friends, and yeah. they're, all, they're all based on tropes or types or whatever, but really funny. And I think it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about it. We did really well with Dahmer. Um, I feel like this book, you know, in some way could be even more commercial because <laughs> we, all, we all have our own trash stories. Yes, so we We have know. our own stories. So <laughs> that's really cool. And then... Uh, two other ones quickly that are on the list that I'm just like so excited to get to do um, we did a coffee table book and adding to our top series on Star Wars mm-hmm. the first trading card series uh-huh. from 1977 all five series in one big book mm-hmm. collecting all those relating to the uh, um, uh-huh. to the first Star Wars movie done in our tops format with the wax wrapper and the bonus uh-huh. cards and all that and you know those cards are so much a part of my childhood DNA sure. anybody who grew up and saw that first movie And saw, uh, collected those cards And it's You know Even like Chip Kidd And J.J. J. Abrams Chip was saying When he went to see J.J. J. Abrams And they said He showed him his scrapbook And he had those cards in hand. and J.J. J. Abrams Were talking about How important Those top trading cards Were to them as kids And so I think having that, that was the book that when I first started doing the top stuff, I really, really wanted mm-hmm. to do was Wacky Packages and the Star Wars books, mm-hmm. the Star Wars cards. So you we know, are finally getting to do that. It's, it's uh, and then the last one is a book called Ghetto Nine Clown. And yes. Oh, this is a wonderful John book. This is John Leguizamo's autobiography in comics. Yes, I can't wait to ages. see this. It's yeah. It's unbelievable. And um, so honored that we get to publish it and um, it came in through another editor this guy David Cashin who's a great editor and colleague and uh, a friend and um, he got the submission he came to me because it would be on the comic arts list and he asked if I knew um, who John Leguizamo was I said not only did I know John but I actually know him uh, I don't know if he would remember me but we grew up together I know this is a, this is a great part too yeah. you, went, yeah, you went to high school with him? or oh, right, right in, after high right school in, beginning yeah. of college um, you know, we were friends and part of a whole group of friends and you know I remember John We he was first starting out and, and doing stand-up and you know we went to see Huey's Big adventure, adventure together and we went to movies and Very he cool. started doing stand-up <laughs> and finding his thing and then he became famous and we just lost yeah. but he walked into that meeting and I, he, he, came, he was in the meeting I walked into the uh, meeting um, that David was having with him, and he looked up and he was like, what are you doing here? And he totally remembered me, and we <laughs> were able to rekindle our friendship and, you know, find an amazing team, <laughs> artist. Dude, and... I'm your next editor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, David is the next well, editor. Well, David is actually yeah. the editor. Yeah, yeah but, but, but it, um, you know, yeah, well, you're publisher. a publisher. And, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, but it's been great because, you know, he's happy to be on the list, and I'm so thrilled to, you know, have my friend back and yes, get yeah. to hang out. And he's just, I you know... I'm you meet a lot of celebrities I met a you know very fortunate I know a lot of celebrities and people who are famous and John is like he's the same guy that I used to hang out yeah. with and that's what's so satisfying he's just really talented he always was talented but now he's talented and successful but he hasn't changed and he's been so involved in this book and excited to promote the book and I'm really thrilled for him because this is his whole life in this graphic yeah. novel and I think that it's also not just about his life but about anybody who wants to do something creative and they have, they're they in an environment or they have a family or they have situations that prevent them from doing it and how do you mm. overcome that and become true to yourself and bring something to the world that you want to share that you know you have something unique sure. and he's a unique talent so that you know it's amazing so that's our list I feel like that's the best we could do it's not bad at all you know it's like art books coffee table books graphic novels um,
1: now you mentioned one book that you you, that's down the road so I'd love to hear this
2: book is coming out in fall 2016 uh, and it's called The Parade Mm -hmm. and you're hearing about it Calvin for the first time great Um, and I'm really excited to talk about it publicly for the first time but this is a book a wordless book that came out in 1957 by a guy named Cy Lewin now Mm -hmm. Cy is in his late 90s he's still with us God bless you bless him and he um, is really really an amazing figure in that he did this wordless graphic novel uh, they didn't call it a graphic novel then They did a wordless book in the same tradition of Franz Masriel and Lynn Ward mm-hmm. um, I had published the book called Wordless Books a number of years back with a guy named David Barona who unfortunately just passed away uh, really wonderful guy and he did this book and Art Spiegelman saw this book was really inspired by it. people at the Sydney Opera House uh, commissioned him to do a thing called Wordless, which was, you know, the history of wordless books. Yeah, and, you know, David Verona helped Art out on some research and in Art's research he came across the parade, which, which is a book that wasn't in David's book. Uh, David subsequently discovered him afterward in much the same way or you know, time frame that Art did. But this is a wordless graphic novel or a wordless story about the horrors of war. Yeah. And Art and I are working on bringing out a facsimile of this book off the original art with some unpublished pieces art is working on contextualizing writing the history of where this book fit in in terms of Jewish narrative in terms of wordless books Um, one of the big patrons of Came. size was Alati Jacoby who's a very famous photographer perhaps best known for the famous picture of Albert Einstein sticking out his oh, tongue yeah. mm-hmm. or the picture that's on the back of the Catcher in the Rye of J.D. Salinger mm-hmm. that we've all seen she was an amazing photographer mm-hmm. she was a fan of Si's work it was in a gallery in Manhattan Albert Einstein came and see the book oh, right. see the work yeah. um, so there's a quote from Albert Einstein about the parade and about Si not and bad bread. so we're rediscovering this, bringing it out to a new audience. We're working with Hilary Shute, who's an amazing Oh, okay. Scholar the, the scholar, who, yeah, yep, sure. She's done uh, a, an interview with Psy and Art, which uh, will be in the book talking about the parade and, again, sexualizing the parade. But we're going to bring this out in an accordion-fold format because the parade is a narrative that unfolds ah. in 57 panels. And we're going to bring it out in a way that it hadn't been shooting from the original art the difference between the version that came out in 57 the art's very light printing was very different it was privately printed but when you look at the original art there's so much rich detail that was lost in it but um, it's great brushwork; work it's really has an amazing impact and it's about the horrors of war it mm-hmm. starts off with a seemingly innocent parade and you realize they're soldiers yeah. and yeah. then you realize they're carrying coffins at the end yeah. and it's just this whole you know sort of uh, tableau of the horrors of war, and it's written by and illustrated by a guy, Sy Lewin, who was one of the soldiers who liberated Buchenwald. Oh, so I mean, uh, there's the faces, amazing the context he to this, to were this faces work. You he remember? Yeah,
1: it's a really he knows what work. he's talking about.
2: It's so amazing, and it fits in wonderfully with art's interest in wordless books. Art's interest in this, the um, the subject of wordless books and Jewish graphic novels and Jewish novels and um you know we're just really honored to be working with scion and he's mm-hmm. very much involved in the book and active in the book and we're like it's just you know an honor to bring it out in abrams because it's the kind of thing like if we didn't do this we shouldn't be publishing yeah, right. <laughs> and it was a no-brainer because yeah. <laughs> the art's gorgeous it's affecting art spiegelman himself is very involved in helping us and putting it together and um, you know, I think his mission, like my mission, is like people should know about Psy. Yeah. He was an amazing talent, is an amazing talent. He's still painting.
1: Um, this is great. He's still
2: drawing. I mean, he's in his 90s and just a remarkable person. So that's, you know, that's our, our big, you know, announcement. And I think as people see images, and I'll give you images you could share, you know, uh, so people reading this or listening to this, if they... Um, they want they can look at PW and they can right. see some images from the book. Well, uh, I'll,
1: I'll, I'll talk to you after this recording goes mm-hmm. off, and we'll, we'll there's going to be more to this sure. than just the, this recording, uh, anyway. But uh, actually, on that note, I'm going to we're going to end it here. But this has been a, a, always great to talk with, with you, Charles. And thank you so much for being on More to Come.
2: Uh, thank you for having me, Calvin. Have a good time. Be back. All right, great. Good
1: Welcome to more to come, P.W. Comic World's weekly podcast on uh, graphic novel and comics publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of P.W. Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics back on the floor of the San Diego Comic Con on Saturday, ground zero for pop culture. Uh, and I'm here with Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. Perfect. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Uh, in addition to being a, a playwright, screenwriter, uh. uh Create a comics writer, of course, but also chief creative officer of Archie. Thanks for being on More to Come. I'm happy to be on again. This yes. is this. yes, yes, yes your yes, second sure. appearance on yes, More. I love, I love it. it. Awesome. I love it. Um, look, I'm just really we ta- we talked once before about uh, the many different roads now that Archie is traveling yes. in. Uh, I'm really psyched I, about Archie Number One. I'm going to talk with Mark Wade as well. Yeah, great, uh, but, But obviously, the the horror comics, and then there were some uh, recent uh, TV development things. I mean, Archie always sort of leaped across uh, media and and certainly across genres. But now, it seems like it's of a different order. I mean, the horror comics are really horror. They're not tongue-in-cheek horror. And they're scary. So, I'm curious. I mean, uh, you took them down this road, and how do you... You, you've gotten a great reaction. I, I just love to hear your thoughts on really, really making Archie kind of real in a lot yeah. of ways. Well, you know, it's it's. I
3: think it's over the last five or six years since Sean Goldwater took over Archie. Mm-hmm. It's been a massive sea change. Um, I mean, Archie's been around for 75 years. Uh, There's a lot of history behind this company, a lot of history behind these characters. Um, What I think has been different the last six or seven years is that there's been a real emphasis and directive to push boundaries in a way it hadn't been before, and when people are really, really passionate about characters the way they are about Archie and the gang and all that stuff is, you risk two things. One is you're going to alienate people. Yeah. And the, on the other hand is people who love these characters so much but have seen them for 70 years in the same way are so thrilled to see them in different contexts, yeah. Yeah. in different kinds of stories, in different kinds of stakes. And what we discovered about uh, after, or after Life with Archie was that the reason people were connecting with the book on an emotional level is because awful things were happening to characters that they loved and they were feeling like their friends were in trouble. Mm-hmm. And what was gonna to happen to their friends. And I didn't I never thought, oh, that the book would be emotional. I always knew it would be horror and that there, there'd be that that element and kind of the people who wanted to kind of experience that. But but the surprise has been people connecting emotionally with it, and the same is kind of true about Chilling Adventures. They really are on the same journey as Sabrina, who's also been around for sixty or however many years Sabrina has been around. But but it's 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 that connection that I think is what's really uh, made Archie and Dar and and allowed people to embrace all these different iterations and these new directions.
1: Now, I think I saw online somewhere that you, you once did a, a version of Archie that sort of got you in a little trouble or something. Yeah, that was, uh, that was yeah. Uh,
3: about 15 or 16 years ago when I was in grad school, I, I wrote a play uh, that was, uh, you know, a loving homage to the Archie characters uh, uh, that the previous regime did not love. Uh, so they sent a cease and desist order. Uh, but I must say that they, that they, that they, they didn't, uh, shut the show down. They said, listen, you can't do this with our character. Mm -hmm. So, so I renamed Archie Andrews, became Buddy Baxter. (laughs) Veronica Lodge became Monica Posh. Okay. (laughs) Uh, 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 Reggie Mantle became Freddie Battle. Uh, Jughead Jones became Tapeworm Smith. Okay. (laughs) So, so it was that kind of
1: thing. I see. So you just sidestripped it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Um, Yeah, I'm really curious about the zombie aspect because it's so powerful and in some ways it's just sort of mimes, I mean, junkets, I mean, they're brain eaters and so they're going to, I mean, what made you decide? to? To go zombie. Well, well, really, <laughs>
3: I have to give full credit to the artist Francesco Francavilla, uh-huh. who draws Afterlife with Archie. He did a variant cover for uh, our magazine that we used to publish, Life with Archie. Uh-huh. And on the cover, it had Archie in a cemetery with Jughead, the zombie Jughead and zombie betting Veronica kind of lurching towards Archie. And I remember when I saw that comic book on the shelf, I thought, oh, my God, what a great idea. I can't wait to get this. And I bought the book. But it was just a variant cover. Yeah, It was not in the issue. And I was with Jesse Goldwater and John Goldwater. And I was like, I was so disappointed when there weren't any zombies in the book. And then we kind of all had a light bulb (laughs) moment at the same time. And it was like, we should do this book. And I think within 24 hours, it was a go. Mm -hmm. And then no one knew how it was going to happen or, or what the tone of it was going to be. And I think probably we all thought it would be slightly more, as you say, tongue-in-cheek. Mm. Uh, but then it kind of became out a little more serious.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, and everyone loved it. Yeah, And yeah. I've never had that kind of response to a book I've
1: worked yeah. on before. Yeah. Well, it's just really sort of amazing. I mean, I was talking um, uh, with someone here just a little bit ago. I mean, if, when you think about comics, probably you think of Superman... And Archie. Yeah. And so it's it's very impressive the directions you've been able to take in this character, which almost everybody claims is their own yeah. in some way or another. Yeah. Now, I'm also curious about some of the TV and film stuff. I mean, could you go over? I know there's been some announcements. Yeah. I've missed some of yeah, them. Yeah, no, no worries. No worries. We just
3: announced that um, the show, a, a one-hour teen drama called Riverdale, yes. which is mm-hmm. based on uh, Archie and his friends and the Archie mm-hmm. Library of Characters, uh, that Greg Berlanti, who, of course, produces The Flash and Arrow, mm-hmm. the upcoming Supergirl, yes. oh, Blind yes, Spot. Yeah. I mean, every, every everything that is hot is Greg Berlanti right now, and he is a huge comic book fan, obviously, and he's done a lot of sh- stuff in the coming of age. He worked on Dawson's mm-hmm. Creek, he created Everwood. Uh, so about a year ago, I met with Warner Brothers, uh, where Greg Berlanti uh, uh, has done a lot of work mm-hmm. with, and I said I wanted to do an Archie show. Do you guys want to work on it? And I thought Greg would be so amazing to get Greg's help uh, in shepherding the project. And Greg was like, I'm like, an Archie fan, and um, we about a year ago we then set it up at Fox, and ultimately it did, the pilot didn't get made for various reasons. But Greg uh, Berlanti and Warner Brothers were so passionate about the script and the, the property and these characters that we got it back from Fox and then sold it uh, to the CW, which is where I, we always thought truly it should be. And and where Greg obviously... Uh, uh, has many other shows, so
1: we're really excited about that and very hopeful. Great. All right. Well, look, this is great. Uh, this is an exciting time for yes. Archie and for Archie's fans. Yes. So, look, thank you so much for a being pleasure. on More to Come. G- hopefully see you in a year. Absolutely. Yes, great. I'll be back. Great. <laughs> see ya. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash... Comics. Okay, we're back on the floor of San Diego Comic Con, direct from ground zero for pop culture, and I've got the great pleasure uh, of speaking with Mike Richardson, the founder and president and publisher of Dark Horse Comics. What else can you think of? I can go through a bunch more here, but uh, Mike, thank you for being on More to Come. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to see you, Calvin. We've talked many times. We have indeed. Yeah, this is great, and obviously, at Comic Con is something special. The, the, The magic of crazy fans everywhere it's uh
4: you know you have to sort of uh build up your energy before you come down here this is my 29th year in a row wow yeah and uh it's it's a so intense uh, the whole time (laughs) you're down here that you really got to get in shape to get it's a trial by
1: fire and pleasure (laughs) well
4: one year i did uh 71 meetings in three and a half days wow it's because you don't really schedule them that way but then you we'll run right into people you have to talk to, so you're squeezing them in between Absolutely. and around and Absolutely. over and
1: under and everything else. All right. Well, um, look. Well, you mentioned 29 years, but this is the the 30th anniversary, what? the 30 year Docos anniversary uh, coming up.
4: Well, it's uh, 30, 30 years ago I first started gathering people together. Our mm-hmm. first publication uh, was actually in 1986, mm-hmm. summer okay. of 1986. We actually launched just about at the time of the uh, San Diego Con. Uh-huh. And our first books, two books that had come out in the same month, one was Dark Horse Presents, number mm-hmm. one, uh, with uh, Chris Warner's Black Cross, Randy uh-huh. Stradley's Mind Walk, and Paul Chadwick's Concrete. Oh, great. And we also did another funny comic a at the time <laughs> called Boris the Bear, where uh-huh. Boris uh, knew he was in a comic and was looking for Uh, to make some more room on the stands for his own comics. So he went out with an Uzi and sort of got rid of the other characters. (laughs) And our motto for Boris was, uh, we reserve the right to arm bears. (laughs)
1: uh,
2: uh, We had a lot of fun.
4: And our books sold really well. And uh, we really, when I started Dark Horse, uh, it was basically uh, so I could do comics or anyone to do comics. We were just planning to do our own comics. And then we ended up with this company.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, well, to the benefit of all the rest of us. Well, I think so. Yeah. Um, it, it, as I was going to mention, also, you are the publisher of Mike McNoll's Hellboy, Frank Miller's Sin City, um, the, the Josh Whedon's Buffy, the, the the Vampire Slayer comics, and I just interviewed the uh, couple Tony Perrier and Elizabeth Con- Erica and Clark, Alexander. Yeah. Con- fabulous, great, fabulous great series. Yeah. Um, you, you really created a really kick-ass independent publishing house
4: yeah, so I, I have to ask you a question. Sure. What do you mean by independent, independent of Marvel and DC? I've never. that Well, that out what tends that
1: meant. to be what it's meant. When but it's now said it's that.
4: more true than ever because actually uh, corporations have come in and mm. investment firms have come in and bought up the other so-called independent companies. That, sure. Dark Horse is still the company that I started. I still own it, and so it's still that's own. what I it mean. It's your
1: company, company. Yes, <laughs> right. not a bunch of shareholders. Right. <laughs> um, and um and we yes <laughs> and i know we talked a little bit during uh back in may during book expo uh really about a lot of the things that were going on at dark horse uh new hires um, uh growth over the last three years i'd love to hear you talk a little bit about particularly in the book trade because that's what we do publishers weekly we we're right. the book trade uh, journal
4: well dark horse is uh actually ex- experienced tremendous growth uh mm-hmm. I always have a gripe because a lot of people look at the diamond pie chart and mm. think that means market share, and that really has nothing to do with market share. Uh, Dark Horse is uh, much, much larger than most of the competition, uh, excluding Marvel and DC. Sure. And uh, we've had explosive growth after over the last three years. Uh, several years ago, we took a huge jump, and we do this every so often, and it's a combination of uh, different elements as we grow the different divisions. So we took about a 30% jump about uh, two and a half years ago Mm -hmm. in sales, and we've continued that growth uh, ever since. This year is going to be bigger than last year, which was our biggest year Mm -hmm. ever. Uh, All of the different divisions, we have a number of divisions. We have... the uh, publishing, of course. Sure. Uh, we have the film division, yeah. which mm-hmm. we have a number of productions. Mm-hmm. We have a television series we're uh, executive producing, uh, Sci-Fi Channel called
1: mm-hmm. Dark Matter. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, we had some recent announcements too, too, right? We have. Yeah. we just
4: yeah. Uh, signed a television deal with uh, Universal mm-hmm. uh, Television. Right here, yeah. <laughs> Universal, uh, UCP Universal Cable uh-huh. Productions, and uh, so we have a number of projects: uh, Umbrella Academy, uh-huh. Concrete. Several others that are Mm -hmm. going to be in that Harrow County, a brand new horror strip Mm -hmm. that we're Mm -hmm. bringing into them. So we have a a big television uh, slate coming up, and we're doing films. We were producers on the Tarzan film that uh, we're doing over at Warner Brothers, uh, big budget film. We have several. We have about a dozen in development. So you know, we've never really uh, promoted the entertainment side, but over the past uh, twenty years or so. We've uh, produced uh, Dark Horse Entertainment's produced over thirty uh, film uh-huh. uh, films and uh, and or television uh, projects. Uh-huh. So we've been actively involved there. Uh, we have our toy division, Dark Horse uh-huh. Deluxe. Right now, the a couple of the hot sellers are the the uh, Game of Thrones toys. Of course, everybody loves Game of, of course. Thrones these yeah. days. You and, can't uh, go wrong. And, uh and the uh, um, digital. Site. Are, uh, yeah. Dark Horse is the only uh, publisher, comics publisher, that I'm aware of. It has its own uh, sure. digital mm-hmm. store for yeah.
1: Dark Horse Digital. Yes, mm-hmm.
4: but we also create our own apps where on every major device, and uh, we just did a deal with Comicsology. Sure. So yeah. That's coming up shortly.
1: And that was very significant because you guys were one of the last big holdouts, well, if that's a, the appropriate I, way to describe really,
4: it. We weren't really holding out. Everybody tries to say that, but. For a variety of reasons. First of all, I think that every publisher is going to have to have their own digital site at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. So for me, let's do it now and let's get it up there and sure. let's start now. Uh, second, uh, because of some of the other deals we had, we had to find a way to make a deal with Comixology that made sense to us. Sure. And so I know David. He's a great guy. And mm-hmm. we finally worked out the, the details. And so... Uh, it was time to make a deal there. And it was, it's for the trades. We still haven't made a deal for the Right, yeah,
1: ever. good. You're still selling those through the That's Dark Horse right.
4: Digital. Sure. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we're not shutting down Dark Horse Digital. Yeah. We're, yeah. We will continue mm-hmm. to be selling our comics and trades yeah. to that. But mm-hmm. our trades are for, available now in Comicsology, and uh, they tell me, I haven't seen the final figures, but they tell me our first week was a major success I'm, for them. So I'm uh, sure. as far as our, our bookstore sales... Um, they've, uh, they've been going up on an increase in a tremendous rate. We did change distributors. Uh, we started in the bookstores uh, about a year, a little over a year ago, uh, with Random House, mm-hmm. Penguin Random House, and they have uh, done a great job for us. I mean, our sales, we put a lot of books back into print mm-hmm. that uh, had uh, sort of faltered, but now are selling again. Uh, we, they're, they're, they've just been a, a terrific partner.
1: You and mentioned, if, I think, before that uh, you're seeing interest from uh, a larger number of independent bookstores.
4: Yeah, uh, one of the interesting things uh, when we switched over to Random House, uh, suddenly we started seeing sales in the independent book market, and not just uh, you know the big box uh, yeah you know, book mm-hmm. retailers. So that was a big surprise, and it actually allowed us. I think we put about 500 books uh, back in the print. Uh, wow. Over uh, 500 titles. Yeah. Back in the wow, print. that's, uh, so it was, uh, it's been very good for us and very good for our growth. Right. Uh,
1: um, I think over the years also, over the last couple of years, I know I did a couple of stories about you launching, um, getting more into kids graphic novels. You launched a superhero line. Um,
4: yeah, well, lots of stuff going on. There is a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Right now, we're making another push, and uh, we, we each year we sort of where do we need to fill in our line. Uh, for a couple of years, we introduced uh, some more Dark Horse own content, mm-hmm. and in the world of superheroes, uh, titles like X and Ghost came back out of our uh, own library. Uh, new t- new titles uh, in the Dark Horse library, but have been around a long time mm-hmm. that uh, had laid. Uh, uh, unused for many years. Uh, Captain Midnight, uh, Skyman, we did new versions of those characters. Uh, we created some new ones like Blackout. Uh, coming up, we have some more introductions going. Barbed is returning, and oh, we've had okay. a great success with the first issue that was just released. Very cool. Uh, sort of a makeover, a reboot for Barbed Wire. Uh, the next one coming up is King Tiger, uh, which is uh interesting... Uh, Update on the story that we did, geez, now over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, we're uh, creating new characters, we're reintroducing and rebooting some of our longtime characters, and we're actually uh, bringing back some uh, public domain characters that we're sort of putting our own stamp on them out of the past. Very cool. Um, Creator owned right now is a big push for us this year. We're we're, uh, bringing a number of creators, Uh, we've had a lot of success for. With a number of the books, the biggest is Chuck's uh, Fight Club
1: Two. Yeah, yeah. Which uh,
4: first issue, I think, is uh, well over a hundred thousand I believe uh, copies. Which, as you know, in this day for oh, the pamphlets, that's a big absolutely. Number. Yeah. So well, so it, good. It's yeah, all good. It's
1: it, well. That's that's the news we like to have here, at Publishers Weekly. So that's that's exciting. One of
4: the interesting things is usually you know over the years we have like four or five different divisions and. Two or three will always do good. One or two will have a slow year. For the last three years, we're breaking records in all three right. of our divisions. So that's all good for us. Yeah.
1: Well, this is great. Obviously, uh, I, mean, I think
4: the Dark Horse you know,
1: brand is meaning something more well, than it I ever, think ever I, has. I, I, so. I, I, absolutely. I mean, it seems to have more really great projects than ever before. And uh, and I mean, really, thinking independent publishing really has been. Uh, I mean, to me, that's a uh, that's a commendation. I mean, that means that. You really kind of you built something on your own, and it's made a difference in the whole comics market, without a doubt. I think,
4: so. you know? I think that uh, if you go back to '86, I think we've had a real impact on creator rights and creator yeah, absolutely. Ownership. I don't also, know a that huge it was issue that. now, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, and I don't know that it was. Uh, there were many people thinking about that back then, mm-hmm. but the creators were yeah. yes. And so you know that's how we got people like Frank Miller and Mike Manilla mm-hmm. and Art Adams and. Uh, 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 so many of the Eric Powell Mm, so many of the Mm. other creators yes the goon that's uh yeah and Josh Whedon uh, people like Josh who who don't need the dark horse but came here because look they want to own and control Mm. their own work and they want to do it the way they want to do it and so we give them that uh, opportunity now we have some great books uh Lady Killer's been a big success for us uh um Harrow County Mm -hmm. as I said yep Mm -hmm. Uh, and not only just in comics, uh, they're both uh, we're, we're working entertainment deals for yeah. those projects, so, and many more. So I can sit here and ramble so, on. But, uh, that, well,
1: that's good. Well, uh, not just an independent company, but a, a, a diverse company in every way in the entertainment business. It's
4: one of the strengths of our company. I mean, look, we've seen comics companies come and go, mm-hmm. and we've seen comics companies try to sort of jump the fence and get into entertainment really quick and that's the main purpose for creating comics at dark horse uh, we do comics because we love comics we've been lucky enough to build out that content into other areas uh what we really are is a content engine Mm -hmm. and it's an engine available to creators and uh that content can go into other places when you look at we work with tim burton Mm -hmm. that's in a toy line uh, tragic toys for girls and boys and tim uh, creates all the sculptures and paints them, and they're they're his, a hundred percent his. Big success for us, yeah. you know, in that right. line. So content takes many forms, but again, at at the heart of Dark Horse, uh, despite all the films and all the toys and everything else, it's the comics. That's what we love, and that's why we keep doing it. We've had many offers to uh, come uh-huh. in and uh, uh, make Dark Horse into a different kind of company, and you know, if it's not about the comics, then you know. We
1: haven't been interested. That's what we're here for. And that's a perfect uh, point to end this. Um, Mike, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Well, it's always good to see you. That's a great pleasure. uh,